Welcome to the Start Over Coder podcast. I am the Start Over Coder, and I'm taking you along on my quest, taking up a new career as a professional developer and pursuing financial independence. In today's podcast, I will continue on from last week's episode. This is part two, answering the question, how do I host a website? So if you missed last week, it was all about hosting static websites. So that means no database, no dynamic content, just fixed HTML pages that the user requests when they visit your site, and then it sends back to them. So there are lots and lots of options on that front, and I would definitely recommend if you didn't listen to that episode to go back and listen. It can be found at startovercoder.com slash 031, is episode 31. And today I'll be picking up where I left off talking about dynamic websites. So this is really key if you are looking for jobs and looking to be a full stack developer. So you've built some demo apps or things that have a database integrated with them, and now you really just want to show them off. Or even if you're just doing it for fun, you've built something and you want other people to be able to try it, you need to post that app online somewhere for people to try it without having to use your actual computer, your machine where you built the app. So this really is the next big step towards getting your stuff out there once you've built it. So I personally, I've used two of these services. Uh, so I do definitely have limited experience. I can't really talk about the whole breadth of services that are available for hosting dynamic websites, but I will talk about my experiences on the two that I've used and also share with you some resources so that you can, you know, go into it a bit further and determine if maybe another service would be better for you. So first of all, what will you need? What are the basics? The absolute basics are a domain name and hosting. I talked about these in depth, kind of gave some definitions in part one. So go back and listen to that if you missed it. But those are kind of the basics of what you will need in order to host any website. Now for hosting a dynamic website or a web app or application that you've built, you will also need a database system. So this is what's used to store all of your data tables and that allows people to make calls to your data so that they can interact with your website. So when you've been building the app, you will have run a database server on your computer and all of the data information, all of the tables, all of the information that's submitted from the website or that you've populated to be able to generate content to your website, that's all stored on your local machine. So basically you need to create the same thing, but just online somewhere on a remote server so that other people can access it as well in a much more stable way than if, let's say, you opened up a link into your machine, that just wouldn't really make any sense or be sustainable at all. So putting your data out on a remote server gives your app the ability to call that server to interact with the data. So the database system is something that's separate that you will need. However, the services that I'm going to talk about today actually roll all of these up into one. So your database, your website's basic storage, so hosting all of the static files or even the backend files will all go through one service. So the first one that I will talk about is Heroku, which is probably right now the most famous or the most well-known service for app developers. And I think really it is with good reason. I mean, it's pretty simple to use, but really it's great for small scale apps or just, you know, a basic proof of concept because one of my favorite qualities, as you may have learned by now, because it's free. So you can have up to five apps on Heroku for free. And using Heroku is pretty simple. You upload your code from the command line. There's actually a Heroku command line that you have to install on your computer, which 
I did it in about five minutes. It was actually fairly simple, and they've got really good, easy-to-read tutorials on their website on how to do all of this. And when you use the Heroku command line, you're basically creating a Git file for your whole app through Heroku. But another option is you can actually link your GitHub repo to Heroku. So any changes that you make and push to your GitHub repository will automatically be deployed to Heroku as long as it's on the master branch. So it's really, really simple to use. It's integrated with tools you very well may already be using. And it's just a, such a simple service that, um, you know, for someone just starting out and wanting to put their first real dynamic web app online, I really would recommend it. If you are a little bit afraid of the command line, once the files are uploaded, it is also possible to do a lot of things, or not a lot of things, but make some changes through their web interface. So if you are kind of shy of the command line and would just rather use a graphic user interface, then that is possible. Another great thing about Heroku is that you don't necessarily need to buy your own domain name. So if you want people to go to yourname.com or whatever, then that name is something that you'll have to buy. But one thing that's really great about Heroku is that they do have customizable Heroku domains. So when you first set up your app, you will be given just a generic randomly named URL, and it'll be something like springgarden776.herokuapp.com. But that Spring Garden 776, you can actually rename to whatever you want, as long as it's unique and no one else has used it who uses Heroku. So it's a nice enough URL that if you want to share it or post it on your GitHub or post it on your LinkedIn or, you know, share it with people if you're looking for jobs or just want to talk about what you are learning, the yourapp.herokuapp.com URL is not so annoying and it's not so random that it's something people won't be able to remember. So for demo purposes, it's possible to use Heroku without going that extra step of buying a domain name and routing it up to something. Now, another great thing about Heroku is that it has integration for a lot of services. So like I said, the actual app itself, the hosting of the app is free. You can have up to five accounts, but then you will need to link a database service if you are you know, showing a dynamic application. And a lot of the services that you can get through Heroku are also free up to a certain level. So if you've built a MongoDB database, you can use MLab. If you've built a Postgres database, they have a service called Heroku Postgres. And up to a certain number of, well, up to a certain level of storage, so how much data you have in your actual database, and then also up to a certain number of calls per month, you can use these services completely free. And those are just some examples. They also have free services for MySQL databases. I don't know if they're free, but they've also got Neo4j, Maria, Redis, lots of GraphSQL, I think. So pretty much any database that you use or build with can be integrated with Heroku. They've also got other add-ons as well. So if you want to add in an email system or an SMS messaging system with your app, there's an add-on that you can use. If you need to do video processing, there's an add-on that you can use. If you want to do just basic monitoring or logging of people using your website and just checking to make sure that it's running, then there are add-ons that you can use for that. So if you do decide you want to grow, you definitely can do that through Heroku. I would say, though, that it's good to be aware that all of the free services, at least, have pretty low limits. So 
even just your Heroku app, if it's not in use for 30 minutes, it's going to go to sleep, which is not a bad thing. It just means that anyone who tries to access your site after those 30 minutes have passed, it's probably going to be a pretty slow load time. So the first time I visited one of my apps after not having looked at it for maybe a week or so, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's anything over 30 minutes. I think it took up to a minute for the page to even load. So they definitely kind of deep store the sites on the free tier. And that's just something to be aware of if you plan to use this as an actual production app, which I would say if that's what you have in mind, you might actually want to look at something else because the pricing for the services is actually, you can get a better deal somewhere else. So that brings me to my second service, which is Amazon Web Services. And I talked a little bit about this last week, because they really are good for hosting a simple static website. But if you want to build a dynamic application and consider it to be in production where people can access it, people will be interacting with it. But you also want to start kind of in an inexpensive way just to test the waters and see how it goes, how the build is, then I would recommend AWS. So last week we talked about static web hosting and that's done through their S3 service. S3 stands for simple site storage or something like that. But S3 is where you actually store the files and where you can host a simple web page. For a dynamic website or for your app, you also need a server for the app and then a database server. So the Amazon services that do this are EC2 for your web server. It's really simple to spin up an EC2 in the instance, which is a server, and you can do multiple servers if you grow. So let's say you get to a certain point where you notice that people visiting your site are having latency issues and things are just not running as they should. Just spin up another server, link it to the system, and then there you go, you've got double the capacity. Or of course you can kind of upgrade what kind of server that you have. They have different tiers. And so the ability to expand as and when you need to is really simple when it comes to servers. Now for your database, you'll also need a place to store all of those data tables and something that can take requests for data and send information back to users. On Amazon, this is called RDS. I think it's short for Relational Database Service Server. And that, as it sounds, is for relational databases. So if you're using Postgres, if you're using MySQL or one of those, then you can use RDS. Now EC2 and RDS are both in the free tier. So you can use these services for a full year and not pay anything for them. And for a demo app, for something that you're just kind of testing out, chances of hitting the limits to where the free tier is no longer free are absolutely tiny. So this definitely can work for the purposes of a demo app. Now, let's say you've built an app using a non-relational database. Let's say you're using MongoDB. They have another service called DynamoDB, which is a non-relational database server. And this is not inside the free tier for a year. It's actually always free up to 200 million requests per month. So no matter what you're set up, you're definitely going to have the cost benefit when it comes to Amazon just because their services are so expansive. And re the reason for this, if you didn't listen to last week, the reason that they're able to offer these services for such a low price is because they really make their money from huge, huge companies that use their services. So when you've got GE and Hulu and Netflix running, well, I don't think Hulu does, but when you've got companies of that scale running their services on AWS with the millions and millions of users who are interacting with their data on an hour to hour, minute to minute basis, then little users like you and me with our demo apps really are kind of a drop in the bucket compared to everybody else. So that's how they're able to offer this for free 
and let us try it. So as far as using AWS, you can do a lot through their web interface. There is a way to use the command line to work with AWS as well. I haven't set that up myself yet. I've done everything through the web UI. And yes, it is confusing. There is definitely a steep, steep learning curve when it comes to using AWS and also kind of using all of the services in conjunction with each other, pointing your database to your web server and pointing your S3 storage bucket with all of the files in it to those places as well. So it can get a little bit complicated, but they do have really good documentation. It is a slog to read through, but all of the information ultimately is there and you can find it. Now, if you are going to use AWS, you will want a domain name here compared to Heroku, where they give you a nice pretty domain that you can use and share with people. The domain names that are given by the EC2 instance, for example, they are a long gibberish of letters and numbers, so it's definitely not something you're going to want to share. So I would recommend getting your own domain name, either through some of the services I talked about last week, or of course it's available through Amazon Web Services, through their Route 53 service, and you just point your domain name server to whatever system that you're using to build your app. Now, one thing to be aware of if you are going to try AWS is that unfortunately you do need a credit card to sign up for the services. Even for the year of free services, they take your credit card so that if there are any charges at the end of the year or if you use any services outside of the free tier, that they can charge you for that. So if you don't have a credit card, you've unfortunately got to figure out a way to get one if you want to give it a try. Um, another thing about it is if you're outside of the U.S., it can be a little bit annoying, but everything that they charge is in U.S. dollars. So not only do you need to have a credit card, but... Ideally, you would have an American credit card so you don't have to pay any kind of foreign exchange fees. Or if you're using a card in whatever country you're in, you just have to kind of be aware that your card may charge you for using foreign currencies. And depending on the terms of your card, those can actually be kind of a lot. So it's just something to be aware of. It's unfortunate, but hopefully there are other ways to figure out a way around it if it is something that you really want to try. So to wrap it up on AWS, just to give an example of my experience when it comes to the pricing, despite the steep learning curve and the confusion that can come in trying to get these services set up and all linked to each other and speaking to each other, in the end, the pricing is great and you really can't argue with it. So when I was doing the free tier, all of the services within that free tier were free for a year. I was paying 51 cents per month, and that was for my hosting during that time. And then at the end of the year, when my free tier ended, the pricing, it did skyrocket all the way up to 69 cents a month. So, you know, this is a really simple website with probably no one but me going to check it and maybe occasionally some random person. But I think that's pretty good pricing for something that is pretty much just going to sit there with no one using it or interacting with it. So definitely worth it in the end. Now, in addition to Heroku and Amazon Web Services, of course, there are many, many other services out there. Personally, I have not used them, so I can't really speak to them. But just to mention a few, there's Azure, which is by Microsoft. They have a lot of similar services to AWS as far as I understand and can give you servers and database storage and all of that. 
DigitalOcean is another option. Google has services, lots and lots of options out there. I found a really great blog post, which I'll put a link to in the show notes for this episode, but it kind of goes through all of the big players and compares them as far as uptime, speed of accessing your site and information once you've posted it there, pricing, all of that. So I'll put a link to that if you want to read more about the other services and explore for your own apps. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. If you would like to leave a comment, you can find a link directly to this episode in the show notes, or of course, you can always tweet me at startovercoder. And if you like what you hear and want to stay with me on this journey of learning to code, starting a new career, and pursuing financial independence, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can do it through your favorite podcast app or visit startovercoder.com slash subscribe. That's all for this time. Signing off.